Hey, welcome to Being Creative. My name is Rick Leaf, as you know, and I'm the host of this show where today I'm going off script. No censored, filtered, considered, thoughtful responses today. We're going straight from the gut, off the top of my head, off the cuff, as they say in certain circles. And I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's story time. Stories are important. Stories are meaningful, especially the stories we tell ourselves, because stories define what we believe we're capable of, whether those stories are right or wrong. You know, uh, something happens, means nothing, but we make up a story for what it means, and the story creates our world, and the world creates our reality. You see it every single day. like. It could be something as simple as uh, you're, you're driving in traffic and uh, somebody doesn't use their turn signal uh, or they, or they, I don't know, they're, made, they're, they're just turning in front of you or something and you're just like, it doesn't mean anything. But you make up a story for what it means and the story is like, what an idiot, friggin' idiot. Oh. And, and that story <laughs> creates the world that maybe that person is just such an idiot that you cannot possibly be expected to show them any kind of patience or or consideration or empathy you they they are they're actively trying to make your day worse and they deserve all your rage all your impatience all your profanity you know <laughs> and it happens over and over and over again and, and it can happen the other way too you know, you could have somebody, it's like, it's a sunny day, and they're walking down the sidewalk, and they see a flower growing out of a crack in the concrete. And for them, you know, something happens. It, a, a flower is growing out of the concrete. It means nothing, but they make up a story for what it means, and the story creates the world and what's, you know, and, and the reality. And so it's like, oh, my God, you know, this is, this is a miracle. It's amazing. And this beautiful day, it's this gift from Creator, and, and this flower is showing me that I can, like, bloom and blossom and be beautiful no matter what the circumstances or the... the <laughs> It can work both ways. Stories are important. They're meaningful. Especially, as I say, those stories that we tell ourselves, because that defines what we believe we're capable of, whether we're uh, capable or not, whether those stories are right or wrong or incorrect or distorted or crystal clear. Those stories, man, they are they're, they're the bomb. They're, they're what really makes us tick, you know, and, and you think about the bonkers stories people are telling these days, rewriting history and distorting the present and gaslighting and obfuscating. And <laughs> we got people telling QAnon stories where dark balls of satanic pedophiles are haunting pizza shops and drinking the blood of children for adrenochrome. And then there's conspiratorial stories about flat earths and stories about woke evil haunting the shadows of a society gone mad. Stories frame our brains and some of the stories some of the frames man they are as crooked as the christian used car salesman in Kelowna who stole fifty thousand dollars from me years ago 
So, do you want me to tell you some stories? Good, okay. I got a few. Hold on. All right, I'm going to start with just a fun little story from the book that I wrote called Four Homeless Millionaires, How One Family Found Riches by Leaving It All Behind. But the year that we traveled around the world, we were in, uh, we spent that year, Christmas was in Malaysia in Batu Ferengi. Uh, Most of the parents, including us, had tried to pack a few things, a few presents into their luggage, but we all hit the night market looking for presents for our kids. Everything at the Pasar Malam, that was the night market in Batu Frangi, is a knockoff, but if you don't care about brand names in the first place, who cares? Unfortunately, in the end, pretty much everything was junk. The $1 pirated DVDs would play two-thirds of the way through and then glitch out. I don't even know how that was possible. Zion and Riel, those my kids, found Christmas in Malaysia very un-Christmassy. There was no tree, no decorations. They just rolled out of bed in their bleached swimmers and staggered into the front room of a strange apartment where some gifts were wrapped in plastic bags and old newspapers. Having all these DVDs crap out two-thirds of the way through a movie was the coup de grace. They'd open up Star Wars or Pirates of the Caribbean and start to watch, and disc after disc would suddenly die. We weren't talking about a lot of money, but it sucked to have bought these things and have none of them work. We decided to try to return them to get a refund and go to another stall. But of course, there's no receipts. There's no customer service desk or return policy. So as I walked up to the crowded stall, I had little anticipation for a happy resolution. I figured the guys would just deny they'd ever seen me before. The first guy asked if he could help me, so I told him what happened. He slipped away behind the table where he had a covert conversation with the boss. As the boss looked over the tables, piled high with his shoddy DVDs, crowded with tourists pawing through the stacks, I realized how this could all work in my favor. With a big, goofy smile, I yelled, Yeah, they didn't work! None of them worked! They were all corrupted! (laughs) As I was yelling, I waved the bag above my head in a vigorous manner, making the plastic billow and flap like a flag in the wind. Before I could utter another word word that could affect potential sales, my bag of useless DVDs was exchanged for a full refund, and I was given a playful push back into the stream of humanity. Storytelling. You tell a story. You come up with this uh, story. You realize, you know, all the world's a stage and all the men and women are actors or players or however that Shakespeare line goes. I love that, that uh, when you realize here's a play, we're on a stage and these other tourists, they are the, the these prospective clients. Uh, they're just players in this moment. And I could use, I could play this goofy guy who's just unaware that yelling um, and waving a bag around in the same language that pretty much all the tourists speak about how none of them work and they're all crap, how that could work in my favor. And it super did. It was just like the path of least resistance is give that guy's money back, get him to shut up and get out of here. Ah, that was awesome. So stories. Man, I have realized, um, you know, I've always told myself the story that I was a people person. And, uh, but life over the last decade or more has become increasingly lonely and solitary. 
um, don't mean that I'm lonely necessarily, but it's like sometimes I'm like, man, I used to have tons of friends and people around in my life and in my circle of influence. And I used to going out and doing shows all the time and doing tours all the time and just meeting people. And I guess I still do that uh, with these mentorship projects that I do in schools. Um, But I've found that overall, generally speaking, my life is a lot more solitary. And I've realized why that's important for me, because the stories that people tell themselves defines the world they see themselves in. And as a creative person, I don't mean I'm an artist when I say I'm a creative person. I feel like creativity is about using your talents and your gifts and your abilities and your education and your experience and this whole sort of gamut of your creative capital. And you use that to come up with solutions to the problems that face you in your life, whether they're personal or professional. And as a creative person, you need innovative solutions to problems that have probably, you know, many problems are are longstanding. You face them every day, every week. Sometimes there are these new challenges Um, for anybody working in a creative industry right now. AI is coming for us. You know, I'm used to as a musician, as long as I've basically been a professional musician, which is pretty much my entire adult life, the industry itself has continually evolved and devolved at the same time. You know, when I did my first album, you had to go to a studio. Now, there was there was the, uh, opportunity, the, the prices of things had come down enough that people who wanted to, say, have a commercial studio, uh, if you were talking about like under $100,000, you probably still needed 40 to 60, 80 grand or something like that to get into a studio like that, but you could do that. It wasn't like $500,000 or a million bucks to have a studio. And we were still selling, oh my God, I'm really dating myself, but I remember that we were still manufacturing tapes and DVDs, and you had these two revenue streams, and there was no streaming, there was there was record stores, there was distribution companies that, you know, I remember getting picked up by, uh, you know, f- so that your stuff was in stores, and what a big deal that was, and, 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 so on one hand, it was great that the, the, the industry had changed enough that it would let us, um, be able to go do a, a, you know, crowdfund from the, the people that liked your music and come up with enough money to go into one of these studios and do an album, you know, probably for 20 grand or 40 grand or I don't know what it was. And, um, but it was viable. But then, you know, no sooner did that happen than the record stores started to fall apart, you know, and go out of business and, uh, streaming Napster comes on and, and one thing leads to another and all of a sudden now no there's no tapes there's just DVDs that seems like a good thing and but then pretty soon like I don't even have like right now I don't even have a DVD player I don't know what I would do I don't have any DVDs either except my own remnants of them in a box somewhere in the basement that I couldn't even give away because nobody even has the ability to play it and so on one hand you know you're losing the the way you've made a living, you know. Uh, people aren't booking live original music like they used to. People aren't going to concerts the way they used to. People aren't consuming music the way they used to. But then there's these other avenues of uh, how you can, you know, distribute your music or how you can create it or whatever. But I'm used to this as a musician. Um, but every industry from photographers to graphic designers to copywriters, we just know AI is coming for everybody right now. And so when I'm 
sitting here facing the world and all of the problems and the struggles, many of which I've never faced before, um, I want to surround myself with people who are telling powerful stories. And more than anything, that's why life is more solitary right now, because I just can't have a whole bunch of people around me who are telling themselves defeatist stories. Sometimes I'll be honest, I go into, I go into schools a lot, right? And I was in a school a, a couple years ago, and I've been there for maybe two days, and the principal on my way out says, hey, um, stop by my house, you know, have a, have a, have a glass of wine with uh, my partner and I. And so I went over there, and as I walked in, and, and uh, they poured a couple glasses of wine, she says, uh, well, you've been in my school long enough. Uh, I'm sure you've uh, figured out which of my teachers are doing great and loving life, which of my teachers are in over their head and drowning, and which of my teachers are coasting to the retirement finish line. They've just like, they're done. And I'd never actually framed the teachers in that school that way. But the minute she was talking, I was just like, that teacher went there. Yes, that one. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, absolutely. Can see it. And you can see it because you can see the evidence of the power of the story people are telling themselves when they tell themselves, I'm an old dog, you know, can't teach me any new tricks. Any talk of innovation, any talk of something like AI, that is going to push their button to make them feel useless, in over their head, uh, drowning. They're not going to approach uh, any kind of new opportunity with excitement, with joy, with anticipation because of the story. The story frames our brains and who we think we are. Uh, I have a really profound um, moment that I realized a few years ago. So hang on. Let me collect my thoughts for one second. You know those experiences in your life where uh, you, you'd say, I'd never want to have to go through that again. But I, if I had to choose between all the lessons I learned, you know, about myself and how I see the world and, and everything else, I would never want to lose the lessons I learned by going through that horrible, terrible experience. I think we've all had those. And I think that's one of the things about being creative when you learn that sometimes it's the hardest I'm just in the middle of uh, an incredibly hard situation uh, professionally. Um, and and I'm realizing, you know, the older I've gotten, it's like you you certainly on one part as a, a, your humanity is just like, I want this to be over. I want it to be done. I want to put it behind me and never have to think about it again. There's another part of me that realizes <clears throat> because these things are circular and they seem to just come around again and again and again. Uh, now I'm like, yeah, I do want it to be over, but what am I learning through it? What am I going to learn and, and whatever? And I was thinking about one of the most profound two, two experiences um, that really impacted 
everything that I do. And it was because it impacted how I saw myself and my place in the world. I, Back in the day, I wanted to be a singer-songwriter. Uh, I was a singer-songwriter, but I wanted to be, oh, Bono. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be a rock star. I'd say. And, and things obviously never panned out that way. You've probably never heard of me. Um, because it didn't work. <laughs> oh, I laugh now, but that's because the tears. Oh, my God. The 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 water under the bridge is the tears, the salty tears I cried when I realized one night I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, oh, it's never going to happen. I don't know why. Anyway, it probably took me a decade beyond everybody around me probably knew that was never going to happen, but it took me a decade to catch up. Anyways, um, a few things happened. I was living in Winnipeg and I'd moved there, literally moved from BC back in the late nineties. We moved to Winnipeg in a, in a convoy, in an entourage, uh, all of these artists and dancers and, and yeah, painters and musicians and the record company that uh, was putting out albums that I was being part of. Everybody moved to Winnipeg in this big convoy. And so all my friends, I you know, when I landed in Winnipeg, I landed with a small group, but a small group of friends. And we were all plowing away, trying to like find, you know, make a space in this city of Winnipeg together, um, playing in different uh, venues and at festivals and entering contests. And, and th there was this great sense of like starting over. Um, you'd go to a house party um you know, and, and you'd find out what your friends were writing, what new songs they'd written, what paintings they were working on, um, that sort of a thing. And so it was very exciting. And, and so what happened a few years later, uh, everybody that we moved with moved back to BC and, and my partner and I were left in Winnipeg. That was one of the first things. And, you know, it's interesting how the uh, the best thing in your life can sometimes be not the worst, but it can kind of hamstring you. So because I had these great musician friends that were in my life, um, particularly guitar players, I started playing guitar um, and, and literally I only played my guitar with two strings, like two fingers and two strings uh, when I first started playing and performing. And... Uh, because I didn't really need to learn how to play my guitar. If there was something that I wished that uh, we could, you know, some part that I heard in my head, I would just hum it to the guitar player and he'd play it. I never had to learn. So all of a sudden the guitar player leaves, everybody leaves the, the studio where I was recording, which we had the producer and the engineer, every, every, they all went back to, to BC. And so I had to face my fears and the way I looked at myself, because I'm like, oh, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a producer. I remember um, a friend um, phoned me up in Winnipeg. So a number of things all happened in rapid succession so quickly that I didn't even notice what was happening. So um, my partner starts a, a tattoo apprenticeship. And that means that she needs to be available to do this apprenticeship every day. Um, the way we were living was when I would go on tour and I would make money on tour and come. So I'm not going to be able to make money touring because I need to stay and look after the kids while she is doing her tattoo apprenticeship. So how am I going to still generate enough revenue to live and pay the mortgage and everything else while, 
not doing anything I'd done up until that point. And a couple funny, hilarious things that were so subtle that I didn't even notice them. One was a, a friend from the community uh, phoned me up and and he said, I got this uh, recording studio. We're moving into a small place. Got this recording studio and I got room for it. I wondered if you want to have it in your basement and just kind of play around with it for a bit. So we move it on to the basement. I'm not an engineer. I barely know how to plug everything all in. <clears throat> and lo and behold, if... Uh, a female artist from the city doesn't phone me up and say, hey, I wanted to do, I've been writing all these songs and I was saving money and I wanted to do a recording. And now all these guys uh, from BC, they all went back and I just wondered if you had any idea, you know, who I could get to produce my record. And because I didn't look at myself that way, I didn't even think about myself. And I'm I'm literally racking my brain. Well, you know, there's Teddy and Bob and, and Billy. And, you know, I'm just naming off anybody I can think of, good or bad. And then I don't know at what point of the conversation I said, I, I actually have a bunch of stuff in my basement. Maybe I could do it. And that which is clearly why she was phoning. And she was like, oh, that'd be great. Um, just let me know how much it's going to be and when we could start and whatever. And I hung up the phone and I thought, oh, what have I done? Like, I'm not a producer and I'm not an engineer. And I've, I, because I'm telling myself, you know, that the story that I'm telling myself is creating the reality and the reality is creating what is and isn't possible. So I'm like, my partner comes home and I tell her the story thinking that when I get to the point of saying, you know, and then I said, well, maybe I could do it. And I thought my partner would be like, you can't do it. Like I thought and she would like voice all of my insecurities. And she's like, well, that's a great idea. Clearly, that's why she phoned you. So I do this record, figure it all out. And, and God bless some of the friends that I still had in Winnipeg who knew me from this first iteration of all of the people that were there because they they stuck, they came and I've never been in charge of anything. And they're just like, who's producing this record? And I'm literally sitting behind the control booth um, putting it together. So I thought that was kind of funny. But anyways, I make her record. No sooner do I, um, am I finishing doing that first record than... Um, I go to a singer-songwriter night in the Osborne Village, and I'm, I'm walking, and I, I sit down at this table by myself, and some girl at the table beside me goes, is your name Rick Leaf? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, hi. <laughs> and she's like, oh, God. <laughs> and I was like, holy, I don't even recognize this girl. What did I do to her? And she knew me, and she was there to win the 20 bucks or whatever at the singer-songwriter thing, and she thought I would beat her. So she was like, oh, great. This guy shows up, and now I'm, I'm up against somebody that I've heard of and, and terrible. So anyway, she had an amazing voice, great sound. So I phoned her up. Found, I, I guess in the conversation that we'd had that night, uh, I found out where she worked, and uh, that night she was telling me, oh, I'm going to do this record, whatever. So I called her at where she worked the next day and she was up in the, I think it was like Pier, whatever it's called, 49, 86, 43. I don't know. There, you know what I mean? There's a, a store. I think Pier is in the name and there's a number. Anyways, she was up on a, a ladder stocking shelves and somebody's like, hey, there's this phone call for you. And she got down and it was like me. And I said, hey, if you're going to do a record, I think I should produce it for you. I'd love to do that. So I did that record. And then I did two more smaller records. So all of these people were paying me to produce the records, which was helping me like 
pay the rent and the mortgage and everything else while my partner's doing her tattoo apprenticeship. And then I'm like, in that same time, I'm applying for grants and, and whatever to do my own record because it's time to, to do my next album. When you're touring, you always have to have this new project that you're touring. That's why people are going to book you. So I had availed myself of the best and the brightest wisdom at the uh, Manitoba, whatever it was called, the Manitoba Music Association or whatever. I was part of this association for like a decade. And I went and talked to the president. Hey, what do I do? And he's like, Rick, if you want to get like grant money for an album, you know, get yourself, you know, a producer, try to get yourself a producer that uh, has won like a Juno and try to get a Juno... um, uh, a recognized studio and try to get, you know, players to, you know, session players to agree to play on your studio, on your record that, you know, have played on Juno award-winning albums and, and make it so that when you put your grant, you know, application in all of these funding agencies, whether it's, you know, provincial or federal that, They're going to look at all of these people and they're going to be like, this is such a dream team and yeah, let's give this guy money. Well, I did everything I was supposed to do. I talked to everybody. I chased everybody down. I I dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's and I did everything and I put all of the applications out there and they all came back bust. I didn't get a penny. And here I am, I'm sitting in my basement in Winnipeg in the winter and uh, I think it was a, a month or, or two or a few months before that, probably the this, this summer season uh, before that, I'd also gotten hired by this group called the Weird Sisters to be their guitar player. And I was not the guitar player that they needed or wanted, but they needed somebody and I was the best they could do. And I remember trying to learn how to play somebody else's songs. And, you know, when you're playing your own songs as a singer-songwriter, you can get really lazy. You know how to, you know, find these shapes or these chords or you just play whatever. And you could move your capo around and be playing the same chords just with a capo and a different fret. And and you could be really lazy, which I was. And the great guitar players that I had in my life had covered me and my laziness. And all of a sudden they were gone. And and so I remember being on that tour with the Weird Sisters and, and trying to play these guitar parts. And it was night after night. It was stressful. It was terrible. I didn't like the experience at all. I don't think they liked me being on their tour. <laughs> <laughs> but when I came back, Edith had such a profound ex- um, impact on the way I looked at myself. I was like, I got to learn how to play this friggin' instrument. Like, I've been playing it for years now, but not really applying myself. And so I started to apply myself to really learn how to play my guitar. So here I am now in the winter. My business partner, MJ, she's off touring with another band. She's on the other side of the world in Australia. I'm all by myself in Winnipeg in the basement with this full recording studio that I that's not costing me any money, but I'm by myself. And I got to engineer it. I got to produce it. I got to sing everything. I got to play everything. I think I had a drummer come in and played on a couple songs. When MJ would like blast in and out of town, I would often ask her to come in and, and she'd play some bass tracks, but everything else, it was me and it was by myself. And I think the best music, the best projects that I've ever been part of involve a creative team, people that have different ways of looking at it and thinking and sounding boards and challenging on your thoughts and your ideas. And I didn't have any of that. And so 
that album ended up being called uh, The Winter, um, now it's The Winter of Our Discontent. And I wasn't, well, I was discontented. <laughs> yes, I was discontented, and yes, it was winter, but I wasn't depressed or discouraged. I remember sitting when I got the last hope, you know, the last funding agency. I got the letter in the mail, opened it up, and it's like, sorry, man, no money for you. And I remember going down in the basement, <clears throat> and I, I was really a dark moment. I was like, what do I do? I either give up and I go get another job and I forget about this, or I figure out how to keep going in a way that I never imagined that I could. And so I just looked around. I'm like, could I do everything? Could I play everything? Could I sing everything? Could I come up with every idea? And that album is certainly not the best album I've ever done. There are songs on there that should never have been on there. There is me warbling away, uh, singing way too high. Um, singing way too much of my falsetto, doing all kinds of things that if I had a producer and engineers and a band and people around me that would speak truth to me, they would have been like, yeah, you either cut that vocal part or don't even include it. And I don't think this song should be on there. You know, 10 great songs would be better than 14 where four of them are kind of, Egh, you know, but I didn't have any of that feedback. But when I look at that album then, and certainly now, I'm really proud of it because I didn't give up. There's a saying somebody said, who knows where, that they were like, you know, if, if a job's worth doing, it's do, worth doing poorly. And I really embraced that in that moment. It's like, there's no one around that could do it better. There are many people who could do it better. Many many better engineers and producers and guitar players, whatever, but they're not here. And if this album is worth doing, then it's worth doing poorly, if that's the best I can do. And I remember this one night, uh, it, was the, it was the moment to put some kind of an electric guitar, a lead guitar part on this song. And I'm like, I'm looking, I'm holding this guitar in my uh, lap. And I'm like, I'm not a lead guitar player. I can't do solos, you know, the, the Eddie Van Halen type, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I just remember saying out loud to myself, can you express some emotion with this instrument that will serve the emotional, you know, spell that I hope that this song casts when somebody listens to it? And I was like, yes. I can communicate some emotion, even if it's just me bending the string like, you know, if, if it's just even that to communicate desperation or whatever, I'm like, yeah, I can. And this whole experience, they were, it was challenging me beyond my capabilities. And we all know what happens if you put yourself in a space like that. You discover things about yourself you didn't know beforehand. And there's just something so profound about having this opportunity to be in a sink or swim situation um, and to kind of look in the mirror and see yourself in a new way. To It's like a veil being pulled back. It's like curtains being pulled back and you're like, whoa, who is that? You know, we've, have you ever seen those animals like a, somebody winds up... Uh, I, <laughs> 
Somebody put up a, a mirror out in a rainforest or whatever, and I just remember this bear. Have you seen this video? This bear comes around the corner, and, and when he sees himself, him or herself, when, when the, the bear sees itself in the mirror, it just freaks out, jumps back, and then thinks it's another bear that startled it and just, like, attacks the mirror, knocks it down, freaks out, and then runs off into the bush. I mean, there's something about being startled by who you see when you really look in the mirror and you look in your eyes. And so that was what that experience was for me. And I'm really thankful for it. And, you know, I, I mixed the record down. I did this whole thing. And then I think it was January 3rd. It was just a couple days into the new year, that same friend that lent it to me phoned it up and said, hey, uh, we've just moved into a new place. I got enough space, thought I could come and get some of my equipment. And he just came and got everything. Literally just cleared out my basement. Uh, it was like a Looney Tunes cartoon where it was just like a little plate with a few crumbs on it just spinning in the corner. It was like this basement had been packed with all this gear. Now it was empty. And I remember like kind of laughing out loud and going, you know, I'm not the smartest person in observing the things in my own life at that time, particularly. And I was like, clearly, uh, this is not where I'm supposed to spend my life. I'm not supposed to spend my life in my basement rec making records for other artists. Uh, this was such a gift. Somehow those those plaintive cries and pleas that maybe passes prayers in the life of an artist that was like, how am I supposed to generate revenue without touring that can support my family while my partner does the part, the apprenticeship? And, and this all just dropped in my lap. The artists that wanted to do records dropped in my lap. It all happened. Boom. It's gone. And it's time for me to start touring that CD, which is what I did. Um, hang on one sec. You know, words have power. I really love playing around with the whole, you know, something happens means nothing. We make up a story for what it means. The story creates our world. The world creates our reality. What isn't, isn't possible. And this is life. I love saying that. And I love using it as a way to make fun of things and hopefully draw attention maybe to some of the things that go on in our, our lives. But, you know, uh, these, these um, emotional kind of experiences that we all share and have that also never seem to want to talk about, you know, moments of desperation, of loss, of loneliness, of frustration, feeling inadequate. You know, for all of us, these are the stepping stones on a journey of discovering uh ourselves as more capable than we've ever been. And your story might not be that you did an album by yourself in a basement in Winnipeg in the winter, but you've got one. You've got a story where you faced a moment and you discovered you were capable beyond what you thought you were in that moment. And you'd say to when you tell that story to somebody, I know that you say, I'd never want to have to go through that again, but I would never want to learn the lessons that I've learned by going through that. And this is somehow why I'm feeling like, 
you know, I still feel like I'm sucking at podcasting, which is totally fine because I'm just having fun trying to figure out what it is that really turns my crank. And and I wish that it wasn't just me. Like, I don't want to be, uh, what's his, what's his pickle there? That guy with the uh, face, Joe Rogan. I don't want to be Joe Rogan. <laughs> um, but like when I watch the one that comes up on YouTube and he's just sitting in a studio and he's actually having a conversation with somebody. I love that. I love the conversations. And I went on a hunt for people who would want to have a conversation about loss and, and struggle and whatever, and, and maybe encountering things and revelations about themselves. And I think most of us feel like if we actually share the kind of the crap of our story that we're just whining and complaining, or that's how it's going to come across, we're by nature, maybe, um, wanting everybody wants to look good and feel good and sound good. So you want to share your successes and your whatever, but those are usually so personal in terms of yay for you, (laughs) But, but what does it have to do with me? You know, but the rest. So, so I feel like every time you're in a conversation, like I've just gotten to this point in my life, you know, I used to just love meeting anybody anywhere and, um, finding out stuff. Now, I think it sucks that social media is so prevalent in our lives and so just constantly we're saturated with the opinions of everyone and everyone's allowed to have their own opinion, but they, I just don't think we're, it, it helps anybody that everyone can share their opinion about every single thing with everyone in the world. I don't think we're better off for that. I think a lot of people are just stupid. A lot of people are idiots. A lot of people are lazy and selfish and self-absorbed, and the stories they're telling themselves suck. The stories they're telling themselves about other people suck. Uh, And yet they've got all of this time and energy to share that with everybody and nobody's better off. There's nothing insightful or humorous or interesting even about the story that they're telling themselves. So I haven't been able to find anybody and I might find one person who'd been to talking, but it's like I'm kind of been looking for that, you know, that groove and and I haven't been able to find it. But you know what? and I couldn't, I, before I started talking here this afternoon, um, before we started recording, I thought uh, I had seen this thing on LinkedIn where it was like, you know, your first song wasn't great. Your first painting isn't great. Your first story or your book or whatever. And it was this list of things. And it's like, but you don't get to the great thing or you don't get to the hundredth, you know, song that's great. And if, without writing the first one, so go write your first crappy song, go write your first crappy book, go, you know, Make your album in the basement by yourself in Winnipeg if that's what you have to do. Um, Or the equivalent in your own life. Build the first piece of furniture that you're never going to want to sit on because it'll probably get splinters up your butt and and it'll crash, you know. Uh, (laughs) Go try this new hobby. Go try this new sport. Go ask that person out and be rejected. Make crappy pottery. Like... If if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And if you're doing it to the best of your ability, have fun in the journey of discovering what you are capable of. I hope that that's what all of us are learning uh, along the way 
And I've just realized, you know, I, did I say on this podcast? I have no idea. It's just the stream has just been flowing through, you know, flapping my gums in the breeze here. But uh, the when I used to perform and I used to be, you know, really self-depreciating sense of humor and I was always putting myself down and I realized Words have power, even words that you think you're saying in jest or joking or lightheartedly. And I, as life became more difficult, I became more sensitive to even myself. And I was like, I might lose in this world. I might try things and I might lose, but I'm going to lose after I've tried. I'm, I am I keep meeting people and, I, and I'm sure you do too. You're just like, somebody would be like, I'm trying to figure this out. And you're like, why don't you try this? And it's like, that probably wouldn't work. I don't think that would happen. It's like, what are you basing this on? The minute I hear that, I just shut up. There's no point. My drum keeper from years ago, Rob Spade, he used to say, you can't tell anybody what to do. So if, if you throw out a, a creative solution or a possible solution and somebody's like, yeah, it probably wouldn't work, yeah, don't even bother. They are not committed. They are not desperate enough to say, wow. I got nothing else. I might as well try that. I might as well go in the basement, stare at this electric guitar and ask myself the serious question, could I communicate something emotional with this instrument? You know, the whole probably wouldn't, I don't think that we're just talking about opinions, but those opinions are really just verbalizing the story that they're telling themselves and the story is creating their world and their world is creating their reality and what isn't, isn't possible. And you or I, with our feeble little words, are not going to be able to shift the compass in that environment. So carry on. And face your own struggles and look in the mirror for yourself. So anyway, that's where we're at. As you know, and I know that you do know this because I know this and I say this every single time because I love saying it, because I love saying things that are true, that uh, in idle moments come back to me. And one of those is that creativity and being creative is a mindset. It is a lifestyle that produces an energy that empowers resiliency and confidence to face the challenges life throws at us. And it nonstop is throwing challenges at us. And it's that process of facing those challenges and crafting those great stories that define reality and what we're capable of that creates momentum. And it's that momentum, or lack of it, unfortunately, that I want to share with you through these episodes. So, man, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to leave a comment or ask a question. And remember, wherever you are, all five of you, you're capable of infinitely more than you've given yourself credit for up until this point. Wow, I suddenly got emotional. Yay for me. <laughs> I'm gonna go cry now. Anyways, until next time, bye.